as nonprofit organizations, churches are not allowed to endorse or oppose political candidates. They could lose their tax-exempt status for doing so. But a recent investigation by ProPublica and the Texas Tribune found that that law is not really enforced. This is Listen in Lubbock. For Texas Tech Public Media, this is Listen in Lubbock. I'm your host, Sarah Self Walbrick. Tax exempt organizations are not supposed to get involved in politics. They face losing that status if they do. At least, that's what the law says. Still, recent reporting from ProPublica and the Texas Tribune found that many churches, especially in Texas, are violating that role with few, if any, repercussions. Jessica Priest is one of the journalists who worked on this story. She joins us today to tell us more about her work. Thanks for talking with us, Jessica. Thanks for having me. So in your own words, just tell us about this story. Summarize it for us and tell us what y'all found. We found and confirmed with three nonprofit tax lawyers that 20 churches had violated the Johnson Amendment since 2020. And we found that this was more churches than the IRS had investigated for Johnson Amendment violations in the past decade. Okay, so we're going to unpack this quite a bit over the next few minutes during the show. But before we go much further, explain the Johnson Amendment to us, which is the tax code law that's in question here. It was proposed by President Lyndon B. Johnson in 1954 when he was senator. It prohibits all nonprofits from intervening in a political campaign, and the IRS has interpreted it to explicitly prohibit pastors from endorsing candidates from the pulpit, which is what our story focused on. So tell me a little bit more about the history of this. Why do we have this law and what's its purpose? At the time, you know, in the 1950s, the Cold War was going on and there were some congressional committees investigating foundations and their involvement in politics. They were investigating them for perceived un-American activities. And historians have told us that they believe Johnson was trying to either head off a wider crackdown on foundations or he was motivated by politics. He had a foundation, a conservative foundation was supporting his opponent in an upcoming primary, but he had never explained his intent. So we really don't know. He didn't single out churches, but we've learned from speaking with experts that because churches don't have to file financial disclosures with the IRS without such a rule, without this rule, donors seeking to influence elections could go undetected. So as we've said, this law has been on the books for decades, but has recently been questioned by some political leaders, such as former President Donald Trump. What is the conversation around this rule right now? Yeah, in 2017, President Donald Trump issued an executive order that he said eliminated the Johnson Amendment. It was like a cornerstone of his campaign and his appeal to evangelical voters because they believe that the Johnson Amendment curbs their free speech rights. But we learned that the Justice Department in a legal filing explained that his executive order didn't do what he claims it did, that the only thing that can eliminate the Johnson Amendment is congressional action. We know that Republicans have filed, um, you know, session after session bills that would potentially 
eliminate the Johnson Amendment, but they haven't ever made it to a vote. As far as I know, it's called the Free Speech Fairness Act. And I know that Attorney General Ken Paxton and Governor Greg Abbott are supportive of those. But for whatever reason, that act hasn't ever gone anywhere. Y'all's reporting looks at kind of recent examples of this. But can you give us some instances of how this law has been violated in the past, more from a historic perspective? And how were those violations dealt with? Yeah, I think what was most striking to me to learn was just that since this law has been on the books, the IRS has had power to, I guess, revoke the tax-exempt status of a church. And they've only done that once. And that was in the 90s, um, before the 1992 presidential election. They revoked the tax-exempt status of a church that took out two full-page ads in newspapers telling voters to reject then-Arkansas Governor Bill Clinton's bid for the presidency. And the only reason we know about that is because the church sued and it went to court and there was a long legal battle with the U.S. Appeals Court siding with the IRS and saying, yes, the IRS can revoke your tax-exempt status and that doesn't violate your free speech or free exercise of religion. That's so fascinating to me. I feel like this is one of those laws that we hear about kind of, you know, just an average conversation. You know, I think a lot of people know that nonprofit organizations and specifically churches aren't supposed to be getting involved in politics this way. So it's interesting to hear that it isn't necessarily well enforced. Now, many church services are streamed online, which makes these violations more public compared to a time when it was just those in attendance who heard these messages and sermons. So how has that changed things? Not too much, um, as far as we can tell, as far as like the IRS enforcement goes, they don't ever confirm investigations. So the only way we would know if a church was being investigated for a Johnson Amendment violation or for getting involved in politics would be if the church made that public. So as far as we know, it hasn't changed things. It's certainly made reporting on this issue a lot easier because Really, the, the way we found these violations was just through watching sermons um, that were streamed on YouTube or on Facebook. And I think that's such an interesting part of how y'all got this story all together. We have to take a short break. We'll be right back with ProPublica journalist Jessica Priest to hear more about her reporting on church's political involvement. Stay tuned. You're tuned in to Listen in Lubbock. I'm Sarah Self-Walbrick. Each week on the show, we try to give you a behind-the-scenes look at the biggest headlines. A recent investigation from ProPublica and the Texas Tribune found many churches are violating tax laws without consequences by getting too involved with politics. Jessica Priest was one of the journalists who worked on this story. She's talking with us today about what they found. Jessica, the first story y'all published about this opens with a scene at Kingdom Life Church in Frisco. Tell us about that, because I thought it was a really good way to set up the rest of the story. We chose that example because the language that the pastor was using was, we felt like some readers might be surprised by the language, but 
It's becoming more common seeing pastors describe politicians that their views don't align with their values, describe them as demonic and evil. So we started with that. That's the reason why we started with that scene. But what was going on was Pastor Brandon Burden was talking about a recent trip he had taken to Austin, a lobbying trip, and he was lamenting that he didn't have you know, the power to make the change that he wanted to in Austin, but he felt like his church had the power to to make a change there in Frisco, and that was in an upcoming city council race that had gone to a runoff, and he was supporting one of the candidates, Jennifer White. She is a veterinarian, and she had described herself as the only conservative in the race. And you'll know, Sarah, that city council races aren't partisan races. You don't declare whether you're a Republican, a Democrat, a liberal, or a conservative. So we just thought that was really illustrating what some of our experts had told us was the danger of not having the Johnson Amendment enforced, is that we're going to see more polarization in our country. Yeah, as you said, I think it's really interesting that in many of the cases that y'all looked into, these endorsements are happening at very local levels of politics, like for city council or in some cases, school board. So was that common to see? Was What was kind of the level of politics that we were hearing about more often? That was really surprising was seeing it happening so much on the local level. I mean, we did have some examples of it happening in the 2020 election, but it was definitely more common happening in these local races. And what we saw was churches supporting candidates for school board races that were against the teaching of critical race theory, which isn't being taught in Texas schools anyway, but just like these hot button political issues were being talked about at the pulpit. Are there any other sermons or examples that stand out to you from your reporting? A resident of Mansfield (laughs) made me aware of a church, more church, endorsing a school board candidate or supporting a school board candidate in a runoff there. And that was one candidate that my colleagues at the Texas Tribune had reported didn't outright win their race. He was a candidate that had been supported by a conservative political action committee, Patriot Mobile. He was like one of a dozen, I guess, candidates that they had supported in North Texas school board races. Uh, They had poured a lot of money into the race and his was the only race where a candidate they supported didn't outright win. So I was I was looking at that, and then I I started researching the other um, the opponent, his opponent, and I found that her church had also supported her. So it was like really interesting to see two churches and one community support opposing school board candidates that the race got so high stakes for everybody. Which is usually not the case in very local elections, but it has been a recent trend that we've seen over the past two or so years. It's really, really interesting to see unfold. We just went through midterm elections. Tell us about the violations y'all found that happened during that campaign cycle. Yeah, so our initial story came out on October 30th, so during early voting, but before election day. So we initially published that we had found 18 violations since 2020. But after that story came out, um, a lot of 
readers were asking us, well, what about this visit? And they were directing us to visits that gubernatorial candidate Beto O'Rourke had made to churches and also Republican Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, who was running for re-election. He had also visited churches. So we took that as an opportunity to go back to our experts and ask them about church visits. Like our initial story focused on endorsements from the pulpit. But what about when candidates visit churches? And it's kind of like they get introduced by the pastor and then get an opportunity to speak to the congregation. And what we found is that church visits, it's a little nuanced. Um, They're not necessarily a violation of the Johnson Amendment. It really depends. And it depends on whether the church extends an invitation to all candidates and gives them an opportunity to speak and doesn't express support for one candidate over the other. But we did find two additional violations because it didn't appear that the church gave the other candidate an opportunity to speak. And the pastor, when introducing the candidate, spoke in a way that made it clear he was favoring one candidate over another. One thing I think that follow-up story did so well is illustrate that this is something that's happening on both sides of partisan politics. There's not just one specific party that's engaging in these tactics. What did y'all find out about the perceptions of these endorsements? How do congregants at these churches feel about them? There was a survey done in 2017 of nearly 2,500 registered voters, and a majority said that they opposed getting rid of the Johnson Amendment. So I think a majority favors having this rule in place. It was only among Republican evangelical voters that a slight majority, 52%, favored loosening restrictions on church political activity. Still, the IRS is not really investigating these. What did y'all find out about that? Yeah, according to our research, IRS enforcement of the Johnson Amendment has been stymied by politics and, and court rulings. It's been accused of targeting both Republicans and Democrats. So that's what we've heard from former IRS employees. It's kind of made the appetite for going after churches or investigating them rather less appealing. <laughs> and then in 2009, a court dismissed an audit that the IRS was doing of a church because it found that the agency wasn't following its own rules. And by that, it meant like it needed to have an appropriately high-level official sign off on a church audit. And that position had actually been eliminated in 1998 when the agency reorganized. So that ruling suspended all their church investigations for a time. And we know that in 2019, they finally, the IRS finally designated who that appropriately high-level treasury official with the power to initiate a church audit was. So they can do church audits now, but we don't know if, if they are. And former IRS employees have told us that they're skeptical it will lead to more enforcement. Hmm. Very interesting stuff. It's time for another break. Stick with us for more of our conversation with Jessica Priest, whose latest ProPublica and Texas Tribune investigation looks into church's political involvement. We'll be right back. (music) 
This is Listen in Lubbock, and I'm your host, Sarah Self Walbrick. An investigation from ProPublica and the Texas Tribune found that some churches are violating tax laws by endorsing political candidates, and they're not really facing any consequences for that. Jessica Priest was one of the journalists on this story. Let's continue our conversation. So what has the IRS's response been to y'all's investigation? Have y'all gotten much from them? No, they didn't have a response. And really the only piece of information my reporting partner, Jeremy Schwartz, was able to obtain from the IRS was like a heavily redacted document that just showed that they investigated 16 churches since 2011. We don't know the names of the churches or the results of the investigation. So yeah, it's kind of like a black hole, but we're hoping to learn more eventually. (laughs) It seems like that was kind of a common thing in y'all's reporting. Y'all had a lot of no comment responses from many of the people who are mentioned in the story. Can you tell us a little bit about that? That was actually one of the most challenging parts of the story as we mentioned so many pastors and so many churches and we want to be fair and give them the opportunity to to tell us how they feel, what they think, if they violated the law, if the law is even just. So I was tasked with reaching out to a majority of those people. And yes, it was frustrating um, because we were sending emails with specific questions and then following up to ask, like, did you receive the email? Will you be replying? Um, Will you talk to us? And a lot of it was just no response either way. So it was like, yeah, I wanted to know, like, did you at least receive what I was trying to ask you? Because I want to be as fair as possible. So yeah, there was hesitation. But then the people who did reply to us, like, I I don't know if you saw this, but a big church in the Woodlands, Pastor Steve Riggle, he replied to my colleague Perla Treviso and gave us a great interview with his perspective that the Johnson Amendment is unjust. And so we wanted to include those perspectives as well. And I'm really glad that we got his voice in there. But yeah, it was was challenging. I don't know if it was because the pastors just didn't want to invite scrutiny from the IRS or they just felt like we wouldn't listen to their side, but that's not true. We're we're definitely curious to, to know all sides. So that's one religious leader that you've heard from. Since these stories have been published, I'm curious to know what else y'all have heard from church and religious leaders in response. I know that Pastor Burden went on his like personal Facebook page and talked about an upcoming trip he's doing to Austin to lobby state lawmakers. And he acknowledged that we had reached out to him and that he didn't talk to us and that he didn't feel like he was doing anything wrong. Pastor Landon Schott at Mercy Culture in Fort Worth posted on his Instagram page saying something similar that he didn't feel like he didn't he did anything wrong and our story was unfair to him, but he didn't explicitly say what was wrong with the story. And then a well-known pastor at First Baptist Dallas, I know he went on Fox and talked more about his perspective of the Johnson Amendment. He actually wasn't one of the pastors that we named as violating the Johnson Amendment. We only had a small like line in our story about how he, you know, was we, we just wanted to place people in Texas and the significance of pastors in Texas. And he was an example of a pastor that we felt 
was very influential and had been openly supportive of President Trump. Y'all included a form for people to send in tips about political activity in churches. What's the response been there? Have y'all gotten many new tips from that? It's been really great. We've we have over 200 tips from at least last I checked 30 different states. So it's really exciting to go through those and and learn about what's happening across the country. We tried to include other um, examples from across the state since I'm on a team that's Texas Tribune and ProPublica. So it's exciting to learn about what's happening in other states. And people have a lot of questions like about what they're seeing. Like we heard from people in Michigan where there was a ballot measure about abortion. They told us about like their Catholic churches in their area getting involved in that ballot measure. And if any of your listeners want to send us questions or just things that they're seeing that can help with our reporting. We're trying to decide where do we go from here and what do we want to report on next as it relates to this issue. And um, they can do that by going to ProPub, so P-R-O-P-U-B dot L-I slash Johnson dash amendment. I know that's a mouthful, but... Well, that's okay, because I can include the link online, so no big deal that it's a mouthful. Um, Before we end the show, I wanted to talk through a local example of this that sounds like it is happening kind of all over the country right now. Last year, before Texas's abortion law and the overturning of Roe versus Wade, Lubbock citizens voted to become a so-called sanctuary city for the unborn. That effectively banned abortion in Lubbock, which had a Planned Parenthood clinic open just a few months before. We saw many churches get involved in that specific election, and pastors from the pulpit encouraged their congregants to vote for the ordinance. Many people I've talked with say that's why the ordinance passed, because churchgoers were mobilized to support it. I got a lot of questions at the time about why that didn't violate the Johnson Amendment, and that's because they were endorsing a ballot measure that aligned with their religion and not a specific candidate. Is that accurate? And can you explain that a little bit further for us? Yeah, that is accurate. We talked to you know the lawyers that reviewed our examples and confirmed they were Johnson Amendment violations to try to get clarity on that issue as well as read through IRS guidance. It's a a nuanced part of of the Johnson Amendment, but basically religious institutions have more flexibility in supporting or opposing ballot measures like bonds and referendums that don't involve like a specific candidate. So like I mentioned in Michigan, Catholic churches put up signs, you know, opposing a ballot measure that would make abortion access a right spelled out in their state's constitution. And they also sent out campaign letters. So we heard from a lot of people that were alarmed, like, why can the church do this? As far as we know, they can, and that the only, the only, I guess, restriction would be that this would be considered lobbying in the IRS's eyes versus like intervening in political campaigns, which is what our story focused on. And the only restriction churches have in lobbying is that it can't be quote unquote substantial, which the tax code doesn't define what substantial is. So if people want more clarity on that, they really need to lobby their 
their Congress members to ask them to pass a bill. Maybe that would give the IRS some more guidance on on what that should look like. That's really fascinating. Based on your reporting, what do you think happens next on this? Do you expect the IRS to change how they've enforced this law? Or is this just how things are now? I guess I'm kind of pessimistic. <laughs> um, I'm thinking that it's we're just going to see more and more of this. Like Our story kind of focused on how before churches seemed to fret like losing their tax-exempt status, but it feels like something has shifted. Like They know that that's not really an issue anymore. And so they're like openly doing it. Like you'll see, you know, in the examples that we cite in our story, pastors acknowledging that it's a law, but that they believe either it, it's not going to get enforced and there, nothing will happen to them, or they, they feel like they have this moral obligation to just speak out on an issue that they think is, I don't know, like a religious issue, um, a spiritual issue. So I just think we're going to see more and more of this. And maybe if the IRS is under more pressure or the administration, maybe they'll act. Jessica Priest is an investigative journalist who works with ProPublica and the Texas Tribune. Thanks so much for your reporting and for your time today, Jessica. I'll link to that reporting on churches and politics in the web version of today's show. Find that and other local programming at ttupublicmedia.com. Dot org. Until next time, thanks for listening in.